Hi, podcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries. Most of today's commentary on complex social issues is binary, unproductive, and flat-out lazy. With this podcast, I'm looking to hopefully elevate these conversations, and as a lifelong educator, hopefully learn a few things along with you. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. So welcome to another episode of Pushing Boundaries. Today we have a special treat. A look into one of our passions and commitments to personal excellence, reading. As one of the founding members of Men Read 2, we are recording our first author study today. In my casual research, I have found little evidence of book clubs designed for men only. Today, we have changed that narrative with my brothers in arms. We have come together because we enjoy reading and engaging in intellectual conversations that have validated, healed, relieved, and connected our kindred spirits. Please join me in welcoming our founding members who will introduce themselves and their wives. Uh, greetings. My name is T.S. Horde, uh, uh, fellow educator. Uh, I really enjoy being a part of this book club. When I was asked, uh, I was like, wow, fiction? And by black male authors, and all I ever read is nonfiction. And so I thought this is a great way to like uh, stretch myself and uh, and connect with brothers on a way that can just really uh, just 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 take my mind to uh, to another place and engage in and and enrich discourse uh, with other like like minded men. So I'm really blessed to be a part of this group. Greetings, Eclan David, um, also a, a fellow educator. Um, and, and so this is something completely out of the ordinary. Whenever you hear of, of Black men getting together and, and fellowshipping with one another, it's usually um, around drinks or around a, a game or different venues. And so this just gives us an opportunity to do something completely different, um, show that as, as, as Black men, we too read. Um, and so for us, this isn't necessarily required reading, but just another way for brothers to get together and, and fellowship and um, just grow together. Um, so loving the conversations, loving the, um, the camaraderie. Um, and so I'm here. All right. I'm Stanford Perry. Uh, I'm not an educator. I work in a not-for-profit setting. I run a large not-for-profit and uh, I agree with uh, what the other brothers have shared. It's an opportunity for African-American men to come together to exchange thoughtful, critical dialogue on the subject matter of the books that we have read. But we also engage in dialogue around issues that we as African-American face in society on a day-to-day -day basis. We talk about family, we talk about life in general, we talk about the workplace, politics, you name it, and we address it in these discussions. And I find that to be uh, very beneficial and it fills a space in my life that is not filled by many other venues. So this particular venue makes it particularly important and compelling for me. Uh, and that's why I enjoy participating. For me, um, I agree with most of what, what the other brothers said. I never saw myself as a person that would participate in, in, a, in a, a group to just discuss books. But I'm captured at the point in my life where I think I have a better understanding of what is being said about Black men by Black men. And, um, Book. And it's been an extremely uh, fulfilling experience to, to see some of um, our narratives being told in ways where it, it, it's a, a breath and width of, of the Black uh, male experience and things that I, I can easily identify, things that have nothing to do with how I was brought up or my way of thinking, but at least being able to be exposed to it and develop my own understanding of it uh, uh, just in, in word and in, in, in a format where you know I can share a discussion about some of the ideas shared in a book and get perspective 
on, uh, and that's that's one of the key things, get perspective on how other brothers see and understand something that I've had a singular experience as far as reading it. And now I'm sharing those thoughts and, and seeing how, how it, other people exposed to those thoughts are, are, are enjoying it and think about it. Uh, that's, that's like, like, you know, like air to me. Um, I, I get fulfilled in just the, the, the quality of discussion we have and being able to really delve in. So um, that's my why. And uh, that's why I've really tried to, to focus on being an active participant in, in this endeavor and being able to get something out of it more than just learning what Black authors have to say, but hearing what brothers have to say and being present for the words that they share. So, thank you. All right, thank you, brothers, thank you. So with that said, borrowing words directly from his website, from a leading prison abolitionist, this is a moving memoir about the coming of age in Brooklyn and surviving incarceration and the call to break free from all the cages that confine us. We welcome this author and this book called Bird Uncaged. All right, so let's begin. Um, we can start with anyone's question to get this conversation started. We, we're gonna do normally like we do in our, our, our prior meetings, past meetings. We're just gonna have a dialogue or just put it out there. Based on, so let's go around this first. I mean, how do we feel about this book? So when, when I shared uh, with you a little right before we got on the phone, Sharif, is that um, by me having just knowledge of, of the author, he, he was um, someone that worked in uh, with, with students in one of my schools. I um, you know, always saw, them, saw him as an a, a upstanding young man. And then when I became aware that you know, he had had um, some, well, at, at the time I would understood to be like a brush with the law and he might have did some time I was surprised to hear it you know and then when I read the book and I you know got a, a deeper understanding of exactly you know what what the situation was it, it, it you know I was I was completely blown away because you know what he participated in and the person that I, I come to to know seemed like two completely different individuals yeah, um, I think this book hit home with me in a very personal way that I wasn't expecting. Uh, I have a nephew who's who's ten years younger than me. He's uh, he's twenty seven. He's been in prison since he was twenty one, mm. and he was the the getaway driver in a, in a robbery. And so, just reading this book and hearing um, Marlon's experience, I thought about my nephew and the stories that he had shared with me, and also how you know during that time. I wasn't connected with him um, over the years like I should have been uh, with, with, with calling him, writing to him, uh, even sending him money. You know, his mom, my sister would tell me about how he's doing. I would ask him. But uh, now I see how much, you know, he would call me. But like he really wanted to like talk to me and like he's spending his own money that we're giving him minutes to be able to to be able to communicate with me. And so because of this, uh, this book, I've reconnected with my nephew. I've been calling him, we've been talking at least, you know, once a week and I've sent him money and just really uh, having a heart of, of empathizing and also just hearing what he's doing. Uh, I just really appreciate this because uh, as the other brother just said, it really, uh, it gives me understanding of like what prison reform is and like the psychological cages that uh, they're really experiencing as well. Let me ask you a quick question. You know, there was something you said. How come you didn't reach out to him before? What was going on? Was there, was there a feeling about him being in prison that you know, kind of? Yeah. Um, he got he got in jail at nineteen for doing some stupid stuff, and he was in uh, he was in Illinois. And I and I went I went and I flew from New York to go take my sister to visit him. He promised me, oh, I'm never going to do this again. I'm a, I'm a straighten up. And you know, he went right back doing the same stupid stuff. So it was kind of like, oh, like, I think I kind of looked down on him, you know, and it's kind of felt like, well, you got what you deserved. Mm. But I think now I, there's a lot more empathy and understanding his setting and surroundings he was by. Um, you know, he he grew up in 53206 in Milwaukee, which is one of the toughest zip codes in the country. 
uh, the highest rate of incarcerated black men uh, in the US, United States. There's even a documentary about it. Mm. Um, and so just all that perspective and then just hearing Marlon's story was like, he was kind of a product of his surroundings and who he's associated with himself with, how he got himself into that problem. And I think I kind of blame myself was like, yo, did I not do enough as, as, a, as an uncle? There, you know, I was a first generation college student trying to model this for you and you went a whole different path, you know, so. Yeah, no, I just wanted to comment on what he said. Um, um, just, I think it's beautiful that, you know, you, you, you reflected on the book and you reached out to the people in your life and now that that is a rekindling of, of a connection that you a familiar connection that you have with your, your nephew I, I think that that's you know that's beautiful that is absolutely beautiful agreed and and, and so just just something that um I, I constantly think about are the um the students that i work with on a, on a daily basis and I think about so many of the of the young men who could very easily take a similar path. And so my role working with middle school students is to make sure that I continue to, to build relationships, because a lot of times at that level, it's about um, relationship building. And that's something that we talk a lot about, um, talk a lot about at, at, um, at my middle school. It's about building relationships. Um, that's just a big part of our culture. And um, I, I just want to make sure that no student who I come into contact with ends up making some of those decisions when I could have possibly stepped in and added some kind of advice or something that would have helped to steer them in the right direction. Um, so yeah, I see a lot of, of, of Marlon in, in my students. You know, what would have happened if Marlon had different men who could have stepped in and, and done some of those things or given them the right type of um, advice or um, just been a mentor or role model to him at, at, at those troubling times. Let me ask you, I know we I know we talked offline um, last week and you, you said to me, you know, like, I feel like I got to give my son more hugs. What, what do you mean by that? Well, when, when I think about so, so I remember comparing how I grew up with, with um, how my son has grown up and, and a lot of the things that, um, that, that he encounters. And so at times it's like, sometimes it just becomes, um, it just becomes routine being a dad and thinking there's some specific things that you have to do. Um, you gotta have the tough love and you gotta, you know, you have to make sure that there's structure and, and those kind of things. And, and so it just reminded me, hey, I got to make sure that I'm always providing those opportunities for that, that love and that nurturing, because even though women are primarily seen as those nurturers, um, guys need to hear that there's a male telling them, hey, I love you. You know, I got you, you know, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, just thinking about some of the things that he went through, I was like, man, I, I don't ever want my son to feel that he's so alone that he can't turn to me and, and we have those conversations and he knows, hey, dad has my back. So, so yeah, um, there were different points where I was like, man, got to make sure he knows dad loves him and, and dad is here. Hmm. Yeah, I was more interested in this book from a, um, a sociological perspective. I mean, here's a young man, and, and, and for me, the, the psychology of choice enters into my understanding his motivations before and after prison. And it's always been something that I've wondered about. I haven't studied it, studied it but spent time researching it. it is what is the driver that leads some young people, primarily young Black men, to make those choices that took him where they did. Mm. So the psychology behind that is something that in reading this book was very interesting to me. Here was a young man who was the sixth grade valedictorian. So this was a pretty smart kid. Right. 
this kid came from a two-parent home. Yeah. Two hard-working parents. Yeah. No drugs, no hanging out, no partying all night. Father very religious, mother very hardworking, both had jobs. So this was a kid who had a brain, who could think, who could reason, and who had logic, who understood logic. Why then do you make a choice to engage with your friends and you knew there were guns involved, you knew the role you were playing, to create then the scenario that we all lived out in this book? So I, I want to understand the psychology behind that. Mm. What creates that? Because I don't understand it. Mm. And so the ability to, you know, and, and I know oftentimes I've heard what I think is a bit of a tired old story about poverty and that's what leads to all of these things. But I grew up poor. I didn't know I was poor, but I was poor. Mm. And my poverty never made me think, let me go out and rob a bank or kill somebody or sell drugs or shoot up the neighborhood. Mm. So I just think that's a lame excuse, mm. uh, frankly. And so I, I really want to you know, understand from people who've gone through that process, what led you to those choices, especially in homes where there are siblings, where one turns out, go to school, get the master's degree, gets married, nice home, nice kids, same street, same mother and father, same sibling. Another one turns out to do 25 years in debt. Mm. What, what's that difference? What's that psychology of choice that drives those differences? And, and that's what intrigued me about this book and, um, and a lot of what he talked about and experienced while he was in prison in relation to this book as well. You know, it's interesting that you said it because I, my thinking was when I was thinking, you know, when he, as he was growing up and I started to replay his childhood, I was thinking like, what interactions or what interventions could have happened to save his life, right? And, and you know, we say mentoring and we want to put all these men in front of these kids, but they don't, if they don't embrace that mentoring and they don't embrace that intervention, we're going to have the same results. But I don't know. But he had a father at home. Right, he, he did have a father at home, but you know, a lot who, of times who, who was connected to him. That's true, but a lot of times, you know, adolescents don't listen to their parents. They, you know, they don't they they take them out of the out of the picture at a, at a certain time in their lives. Sure. But, but where where was the other look? Where was the alternative to the father? You know that he could look to. But but this was a kid who understood choices. True. So without the mentor and all these other folks there, what yeah. makes you choose a smart kid? to do whatever it is he did that landed him to us reading Bird Uncaged. Mm. What, what were the drivers there? Mm. So, so Stanford just meant, Stanford, um, you mentioned something about um, he had a father that was, that was connected to him. When you say connected to him, what, so what, what's, what's your definition of that? Well, from what I read in the book, my definition is by what I read in the book, that he had bonded with his father. He was fulfilling what his father wanted in terms of going to church with his dad, talking uh, about religion with his dad, being a high achiever in school, which I felt was supported by his father and his mother. So my only definition is what he gave me of his relationship with his father, who had always been there for him, according to him, in mm. this book, and his mother as well. Mm. Right. And, and so for me, I, I, to be honest with you, I saw that as a lot of surface artificial type stuff, um, because there's so there, there's so many stories of you hear the uh, the two parent um, home. And and so with that, there's this expectation that the kid is going to be all right. And you still have them making some of those poor decisions. And so there's this assumption that because there's a two parent home that there is this connection. And so I drew a lot of parallels with, with myself because I came from a two-parent home. And even though my dad was there, we were not connected. And so I knew that there was expectation of wanting to do well in school and, and we had to go to church every Sunday and those kinds of things. But for me, I, I remember wanting stuff 
and wanting things and wanting to be the man. And it was more of the fear of my dad that prevented me from doing those things. And to be honest with you, I guess in some, in some regards, I wasn't necessarily as brave as some of the guys who had those similar upbringings and decided to make that decision. But I just, just trying to think from that mindset of some, someone 13, 14, 15, who had so much and started to, to go into that different direction. It's, it's, it's the draw of being popular, of, of being the man, of being well-liked, of having the nice stuff like that's, that that's that's huge, especially when um when when you're a preteen going into into those teen years, and so I I, I get it. Um, Wasn't so he nineteen when he um joined them 19. on this, eighteen or nineteen for this 19, robbery? Yeah. Okay, so 19. he was yeah he was out of the preteen years at that right. point, and you know was a pretty smart kid as well. So, mm. and I think and everyone talked about your own situation. And your own relationship with your father is interesting that you went on to say, but I didn't do those things. So while there may, you may not have experienced what you feel as a, an emotional connection, there was some connection that bridled you from engaging in all the passions you would have done had he not been around. Perhaps. I can't put words in your mouth. And, and so, and so while, while that's true, so it takes more than just more than just the parents to to I totally agree. Yeah. So it's totally it's, agree. Yeah. There, totally there's agree. so so many other factors at, at play. And so it's someone that so so this Meyer in terms of research, doing the research on kids in, in poverty and those kind of things. Right. And so what the research says is that as long as they have caring adults um in, in their lives, and then it goes on to talk about what exactly a caring, what exactly caring adults look like. As long as that element is present, then the chances of them being successful are a lot higher. Um, right, but wouldn't you describe anything. his parents as caring adults? Because when you read the book and you look at his support system before and after prison, it was his mother and father. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Now that I I I gotta agree with that. That's true. Wow. I think one of the um the things that um is is a theme throughout the book is the fact that you know he was traumatized, right, in a lot of different ways. I mean, he literally lost his religion because he felt like, as he said in the book, that God wasn't checking for him. That he understood and studied and was able to speak and in on public platforms about what he understood um, God to be. And he kept getting personally um, taxed by individuals. And it was, it was just something that he had to roll with. He didn't have you know, people coming to him and helping him unpack what he experienced. And then he was seen in these negative ways based on you know, being robbed, based on being beat up, based on, you know, when he started to, you know, talk about being raped. And, it, it, you know, he, he, it sounds like that's when he turned the corner. He said he doesn't want to be a victim and not being a victim means that he had to be a tougher individual. And then being tougher, you know, he hangs with this group of people and now he's into what they into. And he starts making a decision that, that you know, leads him to where, where he is by the time he's 18, I mean, I'm sorry, by the time he's 19 and in prison where, you know, people have died. Yeah, and that's, 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 that's definitely a good point, um, Maurice. Yeah, um, we, we really didn't factor in how much those things trauma um, affected him and, yeah. and, and traumatized him and, and just shaped his, his worldview, his, his thinking. Um, and, and so Although his parents were, were there, I don't know if he necessarily felt comfortable enough to, to share those experiences with, with them in terms of how much they affected him or, or what they were going through. Because again, 
um, and trying to put myself in the, in um, in his shoes. I, so I knew that my parents cared, but at that time, some of the things that he he experienced, um, I, I just wouldn't have felt comfortable sharing with um with with my parents. Um, and so and and so that's why for me, even from from a personal um standpoint in terms of where he was from uh, that's why um one of the questions that i created um it kind of referenced um that that um caribbean or west indian background like i was you know i see so many similarities with people who are of jamaican descent or trinidadian descent or antiguan or virgin island or, or whatever the case might be and so i was wondering how much did that play in shaping his his view of of society or, or just shaping his view of of being a man or how he handles different things so so that was something um for me from a personal perspective yeah you know they you know he speaks about and if you when we go when i think about back in the book he does speak about feeling he didn't never he never really felt safe even though he had his parents even though he had a two-family household and he had all the structures there. He never felt safe and confident in himself to be secure, right? He always felt like he was almost like a victim, right? Because he said, like, I need to protect myself. He said he didn't have the look. He didn't have the look. And then he felt like he was an outcast because he was smart and he was identified as smart. But that made him weak in, in the eyes of his, his community. And there was really no space in place for him to exist, but he was, it may, and it may have been a, a place for him to exist, but he didn't feel strong enough to exist in himself, in his own skin, right? And so he struggled constantly through the book of, of being comfortable in his own skin. And it seemed like his comfort came after he was incarcerated. That's where it came. It came from being with the, with the, the OGs that are, are the guys who are in there for life, who are pouring into his spirit. And saying, man, you got to be confident. You got to step out there. You got to put yourself out there. You got to put yourself at risk. And it's okay. But before that, he questioned constantly throughout the book and the narrative and the memoir his confidence and where he needed to be and how he needed to present himself to defend himself, right? To fight this battle, and which took him off course, right? Because then it started to put him in places where the community or the streets gave him credibility based on his stature in terms of what he was involved with, what he indulged in. Right. That, yeah. came to give, that gave him his status and qualified him to be in his mind. Because the other thing that's, that's going on here in the backdrop of this is, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a right. man? And so his definition, you know, his father gave him the definition, his mother gave him the definition, but he didn't accept those definitions. He went to the street and took those definitions, right? And that became the Bible. So, you know, when you talk about, so when you talk about Stanford, you talk about where people, where the students go wrong, uh, uh, young people, young men go wrong. I think they go wrong with where, where they identify uh, for themselves uh, success and where they uh, connect to um, their identities, where they, where they feel like they need to shape all the places they reach to shape their identities. Well, and the bigger question for me is, because you all work with young men in schools every day. Yeah. Why do some from the same circumstances, the same communities, continue to go what we would call on the right path and excel and do well in the same environment and others make other choices to do something different? So I hear the choices we're trying to explain that he made. Why did he make those choices is a psychology that I'm trying to understand mm. in comparison to, I'm sure many of his peers who did not make those choices on the same street, same school, same kind of mom and daddy. What was the difference here? Mm. That's what, that's the question I'm trying to get answered. So I'm, I'm going I'm to come to that question. I think there was something you said, um, Sharif. Um, you said he didn't really start to, you know, get it until he, 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 he went to prison. And I think actually it's more of when he went to prison, that set the stage for him to step into his purpose. Right. And then once he stepped into his purpose, that's when he started to really, when everything started to connect, right? When he could use his ability, abilities that he developed at a young age, being able to study and research and being an orator, 
and being able to engage and, and, and mediate um, to, to now work with young people and start that work and do the research to be able to be more successful at it. Um, now, fast forwarding, like how did he, he got there? I mean, you, you have people that have multiple siblings under one roof with two parents and they all go in different directions, right? So I think it's, it's a combination of things. It's the narrative that you understand as a young person, that's significant. Like you can't put, if you don't see anyone around you and you're really looking for someone to, 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 to emulate or to, that you hold in, in, a, in a high status, and you end up getting, you know, focusing on an individual that doesn't really have it together. And then you start emulating some of those behaviors. And the next thing you know, you're, you're in a situation where now you got to pay the, the cost for, for making those kind of decisions and who you focused on. So I guess that and goes that, like Stanford was Stanford saying <laughs> he had his dad there. He was a model mm -hmm. and he loved his right. father. He was connected to his dad. Why did he turn away? But it sounds like, and, and, and that's where we were, were similar. Like my father was definitely, you know, out bouncing around, enjoying life, partying the whole nine yards. But I'm his youngest son, right? And by the time I was born, he was deep into, he was deacon in the church, so deep into church. So when I'm, you know, young teenager trying to, you know, figure out, and I start talking to my dad about, you know, what, what you know, what I got going on in my life, or just you know, about the world. You know, every conversation, you know, began and in the middle and at the end was about the Lord. And it was like, well, Dad, like I'm, I'm talking about this over here, and you, you bringing in and making it about the Bible. And I feel like where Marlon was at that time when he wanted to talk to his father about where he was and what he wanted to do in his life or what the world was about or why does he keep getting knocked down? You know, his father wasn't in a position to have that real world conversation and just, you know, more so reverted to, you know, what, what the teachings, you know, that was coming out of the Kingdom Hall and not what he experienced in the younger part of his life or, you know, what he experienced later that was outside of the church that might be relevant to what he was going through at the time. Yeah, what I found interesting, though, is that he had a younger nephew who was seven or eight, nine years younger than him. And even in his teenage years, he tried to be a role model in front of that nephew. And, you know, would teach him the right things, would didn't want him to know about anything he may have been doing wrong. Always tried to talk to him and keep him focused on doing what was right. This was pre-prison. So... I mean, there was some consciousness about him that clearly showed that he had the capacity to make good and right decisions. And you see it throughout his writings about his relationship with his nephew, who meant more to him than his relationship with anybody else in his life. So it's hard for me to divorce his consciousness in terms of his relationship and role modeling for his nephew and his consciousness and the decisions he made that landed him in prison. One big factor too is like, we've all done some things, absolutely not to this extreme, but we've all done some things and what the difference is that we just didn't get caught. You know what I mean? He got out and away from the situation, but then, you know, they, they connected the dots and, you know, knocked on his door, you know, at any time from, you know, just driving <coughs> buzz, let's say, to, you know, a person, you know, identifying you, thinking that you were a part of something else that 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 happened, and, and now you got you've been figured and the cops, you know, want to talk to you or see you as a person of interest. You know, we've all been close or around people like that um, that are in those set of circumstances, right? And that that once it, it it becomes normalized, you know, you start having people making worse decisions and taking. Um, directions, going in directions that have no positive outcomes, but have unfortunately have been normalized for them. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about what Stanford said was like, what happens to some of the, the, the young men who are in the same environments that can, you know, have different outcomes. And, um, and I was thinking about some of the, 
there, there, there were some points in his life that were very traumatic that I think um, allowed us to see a lot of that insecurity and being naive play out and inauthenticity. So from when he was in school and had to constantly transfer and being embarrassed about that and people knowing in the neighborhood, he was constantly trying to figure out who he was and didn't want to feel like a punk in front of all of them. He was naive going to that place with that guy where he ended up getting raped. So that's a big stigma. And so psychologically in his mind, like he has to redefine his manhood now by acting out in a way that is contrary to who he really wants to be. And then he was in school, he was, he was about to go to school the morning that that robbery happened and him trying to be something else that he wasn't and even wanting a gun, oh, I'll just be the lookout guy to try to fit in. And because of that insecurity and all that, it got him caught up at the wrong place at the wrong time. And it took him going to jail to truly discover who his authentic self was and being secure in his own in his own self and his own skin. And even mentioned that he even struggles with that now in his relationships with with women. You know, he's yeah. still, you know, they're forcing him to reflect and and his his inability to connect emotionally, you know, and because he shut himself off for so long, he's lived without, you know, um feelings or, or trying to allow his feelings to to go or to flow. Um, you know, I, I know the neighborhood because I grew up in a similar neighborhood. I remember 390. I remember 390 being part of the marching band there as an after school program, Jackie Robinson marching band. And I remember, you know, um, you know, I got jumped by like five guys in the in the lobby area. Right. You know, I was going into the building and um, I had a, the argument. With one guy next, to you know, I was fighting five guys. Right. And so I know the area and I know the school is is, is tough. You know, I, I'm glad I didn't have to go to school there because. What he's talking about in terms of, you know, um, the, the adults running around with their heads chopped off because the kids ran that building. And so I, I know the community and I, and I know what I saw in that in that area. I remember, you know, one night it was like Star Wars because they were shooting. And I, all I saw was like um, the, the flash of bullets flying across the sky, you know, but it looked like missiles going across the, the, the sky. And so. That was a reality in that community because, you know, there was Albany projects there and there was a lot going on in that area. And having to walk into that neighborhood and walk out of that neighborhood was difficult. Um, and Western House, you know, Western House, you know, we got Jay-Z and, and um, Biggie Smalls and all these guys came out of Western House. Western House was another, another, another tough environment where um, if you didn't belong to any community and it seemed like he was struggling with belonging to communities and creating communities around him to exist in these spaces. And I remember being in high school, you kind of had to belong to a community to exist in that space, you know? And I remember in high school, I, I belonged to, and he, he was also from Nostrand Avenue. He was on the other side of Nostrand Avenue. I was part of Nostrand Avenue, but I was on the Bed-Stuy side. He was on the Crown Heights side. And we had to belong to our community. So we went into the school and that was my neighborhood and that my neighborhood mm -hmm. kind of preserved and protected me. But he seemed like he started to get that later. It was kind of like on his block, but they didn't exist in his schooling and his external community. You know, he didn't connect those and he kind of lived and almost isolated himself because he was still struggling with his identity. So maybe his behaviors in isolating himself and not being able to connect to, to a community beyond his immediate family, beyond the friends who, you know, who didn't stick up to with stick up for him when he got jumped. Remember he got jumped and he turned around, you know, his friends were, were just standing there, right? Or they ran or something. But he never really created a community outside of his, his family, you know, in the school community, the street community. I mean, he had a few friends, but it never really was enough to, to keep him safe. I think he spoke to the, that aspect of it, like, earlier on. Yeah. Being so close to his father and being in, in, in a religion um, where, you know, you, you're going out. And you spend so much time in church and then you go out on Saturday afternoons and you're going from door to door to door and people see him doing that. You know, he, he was beside the, the, the community in general and he was, you know, a part of a, a religion that, you know, may not necessarily be one where he can, as a young um, um, black male, 
you know, his the, the people that he's going to school with and the other people in the community also gave him grief about, you know, the religion and, and, and some of the practices of that religion. Yeah. So he was kind of marginalized within the community as a whole because of the religion and some of their practices. Now, I'm just trying to see if we got, we answered Stanford's questions. Like, he ain't really buying it. He's like, nah. <laughs> 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 no, you good. He's not excited. But you, but you know what? That, that trauma of being of being robbed and molested. I, I think, and, and Stanford, correct me if I'm wrong, but but I think that that's what kind of started started him heading in in that direction. What what do you think? Well, you know that's it's an interesting dichotomy because again, here's a smart kid. 14 years old, I'm walking down the street and a guy says to me, come here, help me move these boxes and I'll pay you some money. Yeah. yeah. And you say, yeah. okay, I'll help you move the boxes. And then the guy tells you, oh no, the box is not here. You gotta follow me all the way down two blocks, up a flight of, you know. So, I don't know. I mean, um, at four, we teach our children at a very young age. Ranger danger, you know, and, and most black people know at a very young age not to trust people you don't know. We've been all, no matter where you grew up, in the country, in the city, in the hood, it doesn't matter. Don't trust people you don't know. And at 14, walking through the city, every day, you're very defensive and you're very protective. I just found that, I don't know, I can't. I don't know how to describe it. Do you think it was exaggerated or do you think it was? Uh, I don't know if it was exaggerated, but I was 14 once. You were all 14. And, you know, you tell me you're going to give me a couple of dollars to help you do something right there. I might do it. But then when you tell me, oh, no, follow me down the street. You know, I probably would say, you no, I'm busy. I got to go. I can't, you know, I can't do that. So it was, it was a very horrific circumstances, you know, I'm not trying to judge it in any way. And, you know, everybody makes, I think uh, uh, somebody said earlier, we were all young, we've all done stupid things. You know what mm -hmm, I'm saying? Mm -hmm. but, but at some point you cannot divorce choice from the consequences that we have to deal with. And so I'm sure he blamed himself because he realized that early on he did not have to go with this guy. He really could have made the choice to not follow this guy. You know, he mm. could have made that choice. Mm. So that's a tough one. That that's yeah. a tough. One. But but you know what? Go, so going back to to the um the the role that 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 poverty plays, and, and again, and and I I get. It. I remember you saying that um you you grew up poor as well. But the statistics say that you have a much better chance of being successful or having um. I guess a better lifestyle, if you will, if you come from a middle-class background versus someone that is from a poverty background and attended some of the schools that he went to. Um, th those are some things that probably limited his options or, or for example, so, so just think about him growing up in a poverty background and have this kind of decision where a guy's giving you some dollars to do some things. I mean, we, we were not, so we weren't there. We weren't in, in his setting. And think about what was probably going through his mind in terms of, you know what? Uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't know this guy. And he's telling me just come a little further down. You know, it it's look, looks real, real strange, but these dollars might be something that could go a long way for me. And that's, that's a risk. That's a chance that I'm, I'm willing to take. Right, but and at so that point, at you know, he had age, already been beat up three times. So, yeah, and, uh, and that's true. That that's man. that's true. Right. But oh. poor, poor decisions, man. Poor, right. poor decisions. You, you're talking about he was how old was he at the time? Fourteen. Fourteen when the rape occurred. Yeah, um, and it was a horrible thing that he probably never got treatment for, never got counseling for, and you know, you, you and I'm sure if this were a young lady who had experience that maybe we or myself would be talking about this very differently. I don't know. Mm. Uh, but, you know, this is something that he had to endure 
and he couldn't see his way. I can't say that he couldn't see his way out of it because I don't know. The book doesn't really get into the detail associated with how that manifested itself. Because right after that, he had relationships with a young lady. There was this young lady he met. You know, him and his friends were in the room in the dark. And, you know, they were going to get busy with this young lady, if you recall. But his friend coughed and, you know, blew the whole scenario. But they were going to basically try to run a train on this young lady. And this was after he had went through what he went through with the dude with the gun who um, raped him. And he managed to escape after the act had occurred by, you know, going to the bathroom and then he ran out the door. So, But he did know enough in that moment to really like, was it him who stopped it or was the girl? Stop what? The, uh, the, the girl. The girl. It was a girl it. that stopped it. Oh, so he didn't. She didn't got up it. and walked out. Was he? A, he was aware of it though. Was he aware? Yeah, of it? he was in on it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, was, oh. yeah. He was supposed to get it started. Right. Yeah. That there's was probably the makeup for his masculinity. Make yeah, it right. maybe. There, maybe. There it is. There it is. Say that again. What did he say? He said makeup for his masculinity. Oh, yeah, right. but there were other guys there who were going to do the same thing. So I don't know if I can pin that on. No, his no, just participating in it. Yeah, yeah. he was participating. For, for they were going to run a train on this right. girl. Right. But he's probably like, yo, am I gay now? Like, <laughs> there, there <laughs> like, it is. Like, yeah, sure, I have right. to make sure for sure that they know I like girls. Yeah. And that I like girls. Oh, no, no, because no, no one knew, right? Nobody knew no that that knew. guy had raped That was him saying in his mind. But, but he yeah, had yeah, to convince himself of that. He had to convince himself. But how oh. long ago was that after immediately after or was it some years ago after that? That was no, that was I think three or four years. Yeah. He was after. like 18, 19, around that age, when him and his boys were gonna try to hook up with these mm -hmm. girls and and do what they, you know, wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And the girl, you know, just got spooked because she realized there was another guy in the room and she thought it was just him and her, because the room was real mm -hmm. dark. Mm -hmm. So he never really resolved that issue. We don't know. The book doesn't talk about because I didn't see anywhere in the book where he had another relationship with anybody. Right. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't recall it at least. Right, right. What he did speak to at the end, he said that, you know, toward the end that he was having a relationship, but he was having a hard time connecting. Wow. And I think that the things that he did in prison which, which I would think is a horrible environment, a rough environment, dangerous environment. The leadership and everything that he showed in prison, almost as soon as he went to prison, I think he could have shown that same leadership in the community. He, he just didn't do it for some reason. Because he goes into this environment that's far worse and he hooks up with the worst elements in the world or in prison, typically you think. And he thrived, he did very well in that very confined space. He did very well. But I think, I think he was the same person before he went to prison and then after he went to prison. Why he didn't manifest that leadership and those other things, you know, prior to going, I don't know. Because prison didn't give him any counseling or any support, no family, no friends, you know, nothing. I, 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 I disagree. Uh oh, okay. I disagree. I think what Sharif has said earlier was like finding a real community that believed in him, saw, mm -hmm. saw him at his highest possibility. He saw that in the letters from those kids. Mm -hmm. That was the first spark. Mm -hmm. That was at the end of prison. No, that was at the no. beginning where, where his friend um, you know, said like, hey, I'm doing this project with the kids and they start writing him letters. That's when he started to find his purpose. But was that at the beginning? Yeah. I thought he, those letters from his friend who was a school teacher or principal or something like that came a few years before he got out. And <laughs> then he went and met with the kids and they continued uh, to do, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, yeah. Yeah, I, re I recall it being earlier on because it was a number of things that happened after that. Like he bounced yeah. from, from, from different facilities and then the, the Vassar program and right, then the different the mentors that he had and the, and the, the service, the, the position that he had for, I forgot what it is, I want to call it like a mediator or, you know, those multiple jobs that he carried where he was supporting other uh, inmates, right? That all happened after when he had the initial um, letters from, from uh, 
the principal, I mean, the teacher. Yeah, I, I thought it happened late in the book, but you know, I could be wrong. But it couldn't have, it couldn't have been too long because he was able to get into that classroom and talk to those kids, right? Exactly. So, and they were in middle school, right? They were middle school? Oh, they were exactly. elementary. So yeah, that's why I'm thinking that, because he, he went to school. Note to self, we got to take better notes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was the turning point for him. Yeah. And, and see, it's, it's interesting that you jumped in because I was thinking somewhere he he just found a better community. And, and that's what I kept thinking. He found a better community. Really? That, that, was, that was his community. The community that was, to help that was, him get through that, those that sort was of circumstances. Moment. That was, you know, that, that was his spark plug. That that's what that was his light bulb moment. So now here's my question. So if now he's now that he's outside of prison, and we know this for a lot of people, when they come outside of prison and they no longer have that confined community that's a controlled environment, now the environment is what it was before you got in there with a lot of um opportunities to to get off track and to be persuaded to do something wrong and influences and 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 disappointments and the things that, you know, you have to, you know, we have to use grit to get through and be persistent to overcome them. Now that he doesn't have that own, that different environment, he has, he's, he's in an open environment. How is he supported, right? And how is he building community? Well, we know how he's doing it because he started his own nonprofit and he's really going into, you know, supporting um, people that are incarcerated. And he's also doing a lot of work with young people. So he's created a community and work for himself to keep him focused. But for others... They come out of that, they do well and thrive inside, and then they come out and end up going back inside. That's why we got a high rate of recidivism. Is it because we control the environment? We got to tell people what to do, how to do it, when to do it? I don't know. That's a good question, Sharif. You ever saw that show Life? Yeah. That was on ABC. It reminded me of that. He did everything to get out, and like get to his wife and things like that. And then when he gets out, it's like it, he, he struggled with that. That community aspect. After he gets out, and he hang himself. Well, one guy hung himself. He got out and hung himself. He came out the yeah. same guy, right? Because one yeah. guy got out there and he realized it wasn't what it what he thought it was in his in his imagination. And then he mm -hmm. got out there and looked around and said, "This is not what I want. This freedom is actually something. It's it's what did he say? It, it made him it made him vulnerable. And he hung himself and wrote a letter of this is what he didn't think it was. And his family was inside the prison, not outside." And now he was he was being pushed outside. I think he was elderly at that time too, and hung himself. Which is the argument why some people think black men actually thrive in structure rather than unstructured environments. But you, one key, one key thing is he got out after he stepped into his purpose, and once he stepped into his purpose, now he has you know motivation and direction, you know, to do more. But did he step into his purpose because of prison? I don't think it's because of prison. I, I think it's because I think prison set the stage for him to, to be able to focus on what's really important. And then he dedicated himself on to what's important. So you think others. he would have done that without prison? I think it, it wouldn't have been the same thing. Right. Like, it, you know. The, the decisions you make. I mean, he may not have been focused on, on children, right? He might have been focused on the elderly. He might have been focused on, on his religion, again, right? I think given this and having the opportunity to interact with kids, to tell them, hey, you don't, you don't want to make this kind of decisions I made, and then taking the culmination of all of the things that he's learned and all of the skills and all his abilities towards that, it's helped make him... Uh, position him to, to do so much for others. And, you know, the position, like if I had any of the kind of experiences that he had, I don't think, you know, most men would be able to write a, a book about it and be that vulnerable. All right. So gentlemen, at this point, uh, do we want to, we, we're not going to rate the book at this point or what? So I guess we can. So let's go yeah, around. Yeah. All right. Maurice, you up first, man. You know, listen, you got you got a lot of pressure, bro, because, you know, we connect to nah, some of nah. these people. Nah, nah, nah. I mean, I, I think it's a, a just based on that vulnerability, man. That, that It was crazy to me to hear the, the, that story and for him to tell, you know, the things that, that he's experienced in his life. 
So yeah, definitely an A. Okay. Um, I would say a solid B. I would say uh, I love the the story and his vulnerability, uh, as Brother Maurice shared. I, I think there were times where maybe it was the style of the book where it got a little choppy and disconnected. Like he would jump from one topic to another topic uh, and it, it just didn't flow it at times. Uh, versus in the other book, they were like, I felt like it was a, like a complete circle. And I, I just felt like there were some disconnected for, uh, points that left me with more questions. Um, so that's why I would give it a B. So I, I, um, I agree with Ward's rating. Um, I think the, the autobiographical aspect of the book was solid, but I, I think like coming to the end of, of prison life, um, it, it felt like he kind of got philosophical and, and, and started to, I don't know, it, it's, it, it felt like he was writing essays versus just focusing on, on his life story and talking about the life story. Um, and, and so that part started to, it, it started to lose me a little bit. Um, I would have much preferred to hear just that, that, that whole story. Um, what's next, um, you know, upcoming plans, that type of thing and leave it at that versus, um, you know, trying to throw in, trying to give his thoughts about politics and all kinds of different things. Um, and so, yeah, B. Uh, you know, I hate to be the one. <laughs> I should have been a teacher, I guess. I <laughs> He's a hard grader. <laughs> a plus? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess that, you know, I don't know. Um, I felt that the book left more questions unanswered for me than answered. So, and it felt very stereotypical. I'm just sick of reading those. You know, <laughs> I told you this story already. So, you know, it's the same narrative, just a different name. You know, he had, his name is Marlon. It could have been one of the 25 others that are all exactly the same, almost <laughs> verbatim. Instead of a C minus, I would probably give it a strong C. A C, not a strong C. Yeah, and you and you said and you spoke to that before. You spoke, you talked about you know. Yeah, I told you the reasons why. So, as we yeah. and and, that, and that's we, and we got to be careful too when we select our books, you know. But you talked yeah. about you know how there are the, a lot of our sometimes our books and, and um, narratives fall into the same pattern, especially for black men, you know. And so you know, one of the things I, I enjoy about this book club is that we've read some very interesting books that have been very different. You know, um, none of them have been alike, right? Um, even this book has has been alike, alike, like to any other book that we've read. It's been maybe we've heard the stories and watched it on TV and stuff like that, but it is it's different in itself. I did see some parallels though from Notes of a Young Black Chef. That's true. Yeah, I, I saw some parallels, not true. a lot. But growing up, yeah. yeah, his his growing up in the Bronx and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. whoa. Leave, leave, leave that book alone now, man. I, I guess for me, you know, I felt like he did a good job of telling his earlier life, right? Giving us the, you know, the background information to how he right. grew up and the traumas he experienced and the things that began to create and define him. But I think that, you know, his, and he gave us enough information about his incarcerated life, but then he rushed the end, right? And I think, you know, when you say the uh, bird uncaged, we didn't get that portion of the book, right? And that was right. really the, the survival or the freedom that he, he experienced after going through all of that, right? So when it, once he, got, he had gone through those trials, how did he become free, right? In a very clear way. And what did that freedom look? Now, we understand you're doing the work, right? And, you, and you're, um, you're an abolitionist and, you, and you're, you know, you're pushing the agenda for incarcerated people. But how are you free now? What did that? What does that translate? And what does that look like for you now? You know, where are you now, and 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 how have you transformed? And 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 like you said, we have a lot of questions still, right? So, are you? Do you feel more secure in your identity now, right? Are you? Do you know who you are? And you, I mean, we we can assume that he's working in his purpose, but you haven't really spoken to that and given us real examples after prison, right? There's not enough information after prison in terms of how you're living, right? 
you know, are you with your, are you living at home with your family? Are you on your own? You know, are you, you know, I know you have these, these organizations. Um, what's happening to your friendships, right? What happened? Are there people that, you know, the stories that you started with the people that saw you go in, are you connected to them on your way out? You know, are you, do you have new friends now? Um, you know, how did you get connected to, you know, I know you got connected to one school, but how did you get connected to other schools? How did you shop your business? How, what was the, the story that you, you, you told the, these building leaders to get into those buildings, right? And how did you shop yourself, you know, outside of the, the prison system, right? Because it's a different look, right? You didn't take, he didn't take the job with the, uh, the uh, with the, um, I think it was like a Caribbean association in Brownsville. He didn't take that job because he wanted to start his own thing, right? So I understand that, but I think really we didn't, we didn't understand the bird is out of the cage and the bird is flying. And I, and I get it, you know, at the end of a movie, you see the bird fly off into the, you know, the sunset, right? But this was a, this was, this was, because this is a memoir, the story has been left untold, right? And there's more that we, we want to know that, that addresses, you know, his conclusion, right? And when he, like you said, he went into his, his personal essays and he went into um, the politics and his philosophy, but then you got to give us real examples of how that plays out in your life now. Right. And I think that's that's what right, I agree. And I think there's room for some philosophy, but like he talks about hating prisons and he has a major disdain for prisons, but he doesn't talk about the alternative right. at all. You know, I hate prisons. They should all be abolished. I think that was the word. He was mm. a prison abolitionist. Get rid of prisons. Mm. And I get it. I understand it. But what's the alternative to that? And I think the prison actually saved his life, to be very honest. Mm. Agreed. I, I definitely agree with that, Stanford. Mm. I agree with that. You know, Sharif, listening to uh to your explanation or or just you talk about um your thoughts about that title, it, it, it almost makes me wonder, did he did he even do did he really do enough to have that grand ending where you can truly say bird uncaged? Like it, that was a great point. Sharice, mm -hmm. did you grade it? Oh, I didn't grade it. <laughs> I didn't grade it. <laughs> I said, you gave a nice speech. <laughs> All right. So listen, I would I would I would give it, you know, you know, I'm not even gonna lie to you. When initially when I when I first read the you know the the um the summary on the back of the book, I was like, ah, I don't want to read this, you know. Initially, it was hard for me to read it, and I was I was gonna do an audio book on it at first, you know. But I said, you know, what? I need to read this book. I really need to connect to it. I need to experience it. So I I, I got it. Um, I read it, you know, on my Kindle. But um, it was hard for me to read it because I just didn't want to know about someone else, just like like Stanford going to jail, not, you know. Because I, I know that we, you know we know that narrative. Um, but it was intriguing to me the way he told his story and the traumas, right? And the vulnerability he had in explaining those traumas as a male, as a man, right? And trying to, and, and the struggle to find his male identity, right? And trying to construct that. So that was, that was, that was meaningful for me. Um, so I, I mean, but now, now not to take anything away from him because this is his first book, right? And he's, yeah. done, he's done a great job for a first write, right? And and as an author, he's a new author. It's his first book. He's done a great job. So I would, I would, you know, I would, I would even veer between a C plus and a B minus, but he, for his first book, he did a great job, right? Um, mm -hmm. and the feedback that we've given him, if he decides to write another or something else or extend on this memoir, you know, he can really um, you know, build in some powerful things based on our discussion if he listens to this, this discussion. I'm gonna, you know, I'm you know, I wanna, I wanna still follow up with him and have a conversation and use our questions because we have these questions that we still want answered. Um, and not that he's, you know, we, we, we're pressing him for this, but we'd like to have a conversation with him. You know, for the first time, you guys have me thinking, I'm, I'm wondering if, um, if we're on to something in terms of the publishing companies really only want us to push a certain narrative because they think that's all we want to read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's how they want the world to see us, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like the news media. Yeah. It's movies. 
Yeah. This day, what character would you want to play in a movie, in a movie or a television series, or have your children play in? Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. Once again, my name is Sharif Rucker. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor by commenting, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with everyone you know. All of these things are free and take very little effort, but would mean the world to me. Thanks again and stay tuned.